Let me begin by praying for us. Loving Father, you are light, and in your light we see light. Please shine brightly by your Spirit in our hearts so that we may see clearly. Amen. What lengths would you go to to hear God's voice? What, well, what price would you pay to, uh, to hear God's voice? How much cash are you willing to part with? What do you think the going rate was for divine guidance in the ancient world? What do you think it was? Don't know any currencies of the ancient world? Five denarii. Five denarii. Shillings. Shillings. <laughs> <laughs> Two bulls. Two bulls. Lily's getting closer. A third child. A third child. <laughs> a third of a child? <laughs> Your third favourite child. <laughs> a hundred sheep. Yeah. Uh, a hundred sheep. You're going to pay a hundred sheep? You want to pay 27 goats. No deal. Deal's off. It's 100 sheep. That's uh, the divine, uh, the ancient price for guidance, at least in the box office smash of the ancient world, which is, of course, the Aeneid. Yes, who's read it? Oh, dear. <laughs> um, uh, this, is, uh, this is Aeneas. Uh, oh, it's uh, it's uh, the story of the founding of Rome. It's total myth. Uh, but there's divine guidance everywhere in the Aeneid. These, the gods, they're main characters, and they speak in all sorts of different ways. And uh, there's one Italian king, and he's about to marry his daughter off to this handsome man. And, uh, quote, the sacred omens blocked this with a string of horrors. Oh, dear. Cicero, he's writing a few decades before the Aeneid. He says the two main elements of Roman religion are its ritual... And the auspices. Yeah, it's ritual, obviously. That's the sacrifices at the temples. Anyone know what the auspices are? Nothing. It's where you get on a couple of horses. It's where you get on a couple of horses. No, but, Senator, you do have a slide that might help us. There's some auspices being read. Can you see the birds there? The auspices. You've got to check out what the birds are up to. And the gods talk to you by what the birds are doing. The auspices is... The interpretation of divine omens from the behaviour of birds. So if you want divine guidance, you want the gods to speak to you, what are the birds up to? <laughs> yeah. That's how the gods spoke. Now, omens could be hard to interpret, though, right? Because they're just stuff happening, right? It's not, it's not really clear speech. So, all right, the Aeneid. Th- so this Italian king, does he marry his daughter off to this handsome man? He needs more guidance. And so he visits an oracle. So let me read. This is... Ancient poetry, this is, this is literature. Ready? <laughs> Ready? The king, worried by these omens, visited the oracle of Faunus, his prophetic father, in great Albuena's grove. They're in a grove. Which echoes with a sacred spring. The air is foul and dark. Here the Italians and all Anotria seek guidance when in doubt. Once a seer has given gifts... He lies in the silent night on pelts of sheep he's killed, waiting for dreams, and sees an eerie host of phantoms flit around with varied voices. He has the right to speak with gods. He talks to Acheron in deep Avernus, which is the underworld. It's dark, it's uh, moody, so he pays a hundred sheep and the guy yells out from the darkness, the wedding's off! 
can you see the lengths that he's willing to go to to get divine guidance, to hear the voice of the gods? Not only are they desperate to hear the gods speak, but there's a whole industry built around divine guidance. You've got seers, you've got oracles, you've got the, the oracle of Delphi, you've got a whole industry built around hearing the gods speak. We have always wanted divine guidance. We have always wanted the gods to speak to us and to tell us what to do. How much would you pay for gods? divine guidance for you. Would you pay a hundred sheep? Don't know what that is worth at the moment, but what lengths would you go to? We've seen in our seminars so far that one of the primary ways that God guides is by speaking. He uses his voice. And if you've ever sought divine guidance, you probably wanted God to speak to you. I've been watching and I haven't seen many of you watching birds. So I think you want God to speak to you. So our question tonight is, Well, can I hear God speak to me? How do I hear God speak to me? And in particular, I think this is our question, is it not? How do I hear God speak to me today? How do I hear God speak to me today? Let me give it to you in a sentence. God guides us home to glory primarily by the scriptures in which he speaks to us through people about the Son by the Spirit. God guides us home to glory primarily by the scriptures in which he speaks to us through people about the Son by the Spirit. Through people. Uh, Number two, point two, God has spoken by his prophets. God has in the past guided his people by speaking through people. So Hebrews chapter one, we'll put down our anchor in the book of Hebrews tonight. Hebrews chapter one and verse one. Here is what he says. Long ago... God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. God has spoken in the past in different times and in different ways. Haven't we seen that in our seminars? God speaks in different ways and at different times as well. Um, What's he done? He's spoken directly to Moses. He's spoken directly to prophets. He's spoken to the people through the prophets as he spoke to Moses and Moses spoke to the people. He speaks through, God speaks through donkeys. God speaks in many and various ways. He's spoken through the Psalms in the Old Testament in um, Hebrews chapter 1. Who is the one speaking all of these Psalms? Who is the one speaking them? It's the Father. It's God. God is speaking all of these Psalms. And what I want to show you tonight under this heading is how it is that God speaks by people. How can God's speech be the same as humans' speech? How does God speak by people? Uh, uh, Let's leave our anchor in in Hebrews 1 and drift back to Jeremiah chapter 36. Back to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 36. Kind of in the middle of your Bible, there are three big prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, then Ezekiel. It's about here. If that helps, does that help? About here. Jeremiah chapter 36. And Jeremiah is a prophet warning God's people about the impending judgment of God. God is speaking by his prophet. God is speaking by his prophet. And then God, God tells the prophet to write it down. So what I, want to, what I want you to see here is how many forms God's speech takes. And it's still God's speech. Jeremiah chapter 36 verse 1. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Quote, take a scroll and write on it all the words I have spoken to you concerning Israel, Judah, and all the nations from the time I first spoke to you, 
during Josiah's reign until today. The first form that God's speech takes is direct speech. I've got some pictures. Hopefully this, these pictures will help. Uh, got, well, uh, only God, only speaking to Jeremiah is the first one. But then we get the second one because uh, uh, his speech is an instruction to write down words on a scroll. So the second form of speech is this one. God spoke to Jeremiah, write it on a scroll. That's what scrolls look like. I don't know if you know. There's written speech. This is the, te- the second form. Direct speech. We've got written speech. That's still God's word. Jeremiah doesn't write it himself, though. He dictates it to his scribe. Look at verse 4 of chapter 36. So Jeremiah summoned Barak, son of Neriah, at Jeremiah's dictation, Barak wrote on a scroll all the words the Lord had spoken to Jeremiah. So here's the third form that God's speech takes. The third form is spoken by Jeremiah to another person. Speech from a person to a person. Uh, and Barak writes it down. Barak writes it down. This scroll, this scroll, is it Barak's words? Is it Jeremiah's words? Or is it God's words? Yes. Yes, it is. It is. Jeremiah's words. It is God's speech, but it's Barak's writing. It's his words too. But the important thing to see is the important thing to see is this speech originates from God. This is still God's speech. Um, this is God speaking in many different ways and speaking by his prophets. But he's not done speaking because chapter 36 of Jeremiah verse 5. Then Jeremiah commanded Barak, I am restricted, I cannot enter the temple of the Lord, so you must go and read from the scroll, which you wrote at my dictation, the words of the Lord in the hearing of the people at the temple of the Lord on a day of fasting. Read his words in the hearing of all the Judeans who are coming from their cities. Perhaps their petition will come before the Lord, and each one will turn from his evil way, for the anger and fury that the Lord has pronounced against this people are intense. So... Barak, son of Neriah, did everything the prophet Jeremiah had commanded him at the Lord's temple. He read the Lord's words from the scroll. This is the fourth form that God's words take. Publicly read. Publicly read by a person. Barak speaks. He speaks what he wrote. He wrote what Jeremiah spoke to him. Jeremiah spoke what God spoke to him. So whose words did Barak read? Verse 8, God's words. Verse 8, the Lord's words. He read the Lord's words. God spoke by the prophets at different times and in different ways. And I suppose this isn't totally dissimilar to how we communicate today. How many texts or PMs or Snapchats do you send in a day? When you communicate via text, that's still your words. That's still your words and it's via text. What about when you want to text someone but you're driving And you don't touch your phone because you're driving, right? Right? And you don't touch your phone, so you want to text a person, so your passenger will text to that person for you, but it's your words. Maybe you dictate to them what to say, but it's from your phone, it's your phone number, so it's your words, but they're writing it. Whose words is it? It's the person who wrote them. No, it's the text. No, it's the person who spoke them. Whose words is it? It's your words. Maybe you send your message to someone who's also driving a car. But they don't touch their phone, right? Because they're driving a car. They don't touch their phone, so they get their passenger. Oh, what does that say? Read that text out for me. So they speak the words of the text that the passenger wrote in the car of which the driver wrote and sent it. Whose words? Whose words being spoken? Well, everyone is kind of involved in this process a little bit, aren't they? But 
The words are originating from you, from the driver. God spoke by the prophets at different times and in different ways. This is how the Bible can be God's word while also being human words. The Bible can be God's word while also being human words. God's words are compatible with human speech. God uses human words to communicate what he wants to communicate. So if you want to listen to God's voice, well, you don't necessarily need an audible voice in your, hear, in your ear to hear God's voice, to read God's words. God has spoken to the prophets. God has spoken through the prophets. God has spoken through text. God has spoken through the reading of text. Now, uh, this worked with Jeremiah and his mate Barak. Does it work with, with me? Does it work with... Can God speak directly to Leslie and Leslie speaks to me and I hear God speak directly to me through Leslie? Can that work today? Well, notice something very important here about Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. This is all in past tense. What does he say in Hebrews 1? Long ago. What did God do long ago? God spoke. It's all in past tense. God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. And it's a key feature in the New Testament that uh, Jesus is kind of like a hinge, a hinge between the old age and the present age. And the present age, the New Testament calls the last days. This is our age, the last days, and it's in our age that Jesus, that God has spoken by Christ Jesus. Point three, God has spoken by Christ Jesus. God has spoken by Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. In these last days, which are these days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Jesus uh, is pretty clearly presented here as a better speaker than the prophets. We're still we're anchored in, in Hebrews chapter 1, um, but pretty much all of chapter 1 is, uh, is God speaking about why the Son is better. Why is the Son better? That's what Hebrews chapter 1 is about. He is the prophet to end all prophets. He is the priest who purifies us from sin. He is the king who reigns over all things. This is the one that I want speaking to me. This is the one I want guiding me. The prophets were intermediaries through which God spoke. The son is God himself speaking. God speaks when Jesus speaks. See this described in verse 3. This is how, this is how much better uh, Jesus is as a speaker. Verse 3, the son is the radiance of God's glory. If you want to see the glory of the father, you look at Jesus. Moses' face, it was shiny, but Jesus' face is radiant with the very glory of God. Uh, verse 3, what does he keep saying? And the exact expression of his nature. He, he is the exact expression or representation of God's nature because Jesus, the Son, is God. It is his own nature that he expresses. Jesus is God's glorious presence with his people. When Jesus speaks, God speaks. God has spoken by Christ Jesus. But who has he spoken to? Who does he speak to first? The son spoke to first century Jewish people. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. Chapter 2, verse 3. Uh, this is a warning. We, we, we don't want to neglect such a great salvation. This, halfway through verse 3, this salvation 
had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. There were those who heard him when he spoke of salvation. Sounds to me like he's talking about the apostles, the disciples of Jesus. And what, what Jesus spoke was confirmed by those who heard him. Right? We reap the benefits of that because we have accounts of what the Lord Jesus spoke in the Gospels. So secondly, we have those accounts, don't we? Secondly, God has spoken to us. God has spoken to us. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. In our days, God speaks to us by his Son. But notice again that, that this is in the past tense. God doesn't keep speaking by his Son. This is in the past tense. God spoke by his Son. Like this, this fellow from the Mandalorian who, uh, when what he says is complete. There is nothing more to be said. He has spoken by his son. There is no more to say. Scripture says all that God needs to say. God does not need to say anything apart from Scripture to guide you home to glory in Christ. You have more than enough guidance in the Bible. You have more than enough. I know you want God to speak to you more directly. I know you want... God to speak to you outside of scripture. I know you might feel like you're missing out on the fullness of God's revelation if he is not speaking to you outside of the scriptures. Because, well, why wouldn't you want that? If God can speak to you directly, why wouldn't you want that? But the scriptures say all that God needs to say to guide you home to glory in Christ. In the scriptures here is, here is fullness. This is fullness. This is something, there is something complete about the speech of the Son that means he doesn't need to speak anything extra to guide you home to glory. If you want God to guide you, listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. But when I say listen to Jesus, don't hear me say, only read the New Testament, forget about the Old Testament. Um, no, Jesus speaks in the Old Testament too. Anyone know where Jesus speaks in the Old Testament? I'll give you a chocolate if you can tell me where Jesus speaks in the Old Testament. Ben? Genesis. Genesis? One. one. That's pretty good. Everywhere. What do you mean everywhere? Ben? Well, God is one. God is one. <laughs> everywhere. You're saying the whole Old Testament is Jesus speaking. Here you go. Here's yours. Um, the words of the Old Testament are the words of Jesus. Because That's a good theological reason, isn't it? Because God is one. The Son speaks. What the Father speaks, what the Spirit speaks, that's good. Uh, but the words of the Old Testament... Here's uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. It's over the page for me. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, the author to the Hebrews is going to quote the Old Testament. Notice who he says speaks these words from the Old Testament. Verse 11, The one who sanctifies, Jesus, and those who are sanctified, us, all have one Father... That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, Jesus is saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. That's, uh, that's Psalm 22. That's David. That's not Jesus. Ah, but the author to the Hebrew says it's Jesus. He's read the Psalms. He's read uh, verse 13. He's also read 2 Samuel and Isaiah 8. He's He's heard the voice of Jesus there. You ever hear Jesus speak in the Old Testament? He hasn't got it. It's, it's, this is 
done on purpose too, because come across to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. He does the same thing. He's talking about Jesus, and he says, Therefore, as he, Jesus, was coming into the world, he said, that he quotes the Old Testament, You did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. Psalm 40 is put on the lips of Jesus. Jesus is the speaker here. When you read the Old Testament, you are hearing Jesus speak. So if you want God to guide you, read the scriptures. You need to listen to Jesus and you listen to Jesus in the scriptures. I think there's a helpful corrective in in this idea for how we approach the Bible when we want guidance. If If it's Jesus who speaks in all of the scriptures, Jesus is the main character of the scriptures, I am not the main character of the scriptures. Right, so when you go to, the, go to the scriptures for guidance, remember that the Bible is not about you. The Bible is about Jesus. When you go to the Bible looking for guidance, remember what you are reading. Uh, maybe you want some guidance about what church to go to, and you flick open, or you flick open the Psalms probably, you find what, like Psalm 22, for example. What church should I go to, God? And then you hear... I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. And you might think, oh, God is telling me that this is the church for me. Oh, no, friends, you've made the mistake. Don't do that. If you've you've done that, you've forgotten that the Bible is not about you. The Bible is about Jesus. Hebrews 2 puts this psalm, Psalm 22, in the mouth of Jesus. Not in your mouth, it's in the mouth of Jesus. Psalm 22 is not about what church you should or should not go to. Psalm 22 is telling us that Jesus identifies with us as our siblings. The Bible is about Jesus. So when you turn to the scriptures for guidance, uh, you need to remember they're about Jesus, not about you. God has spoken by Christ Jesus. God has spoken by Christ Jesus, and he still speaks that word now by his spirit. Point four, God is speaking by his spirit You're over the page. This point is going to take a little bit longer and point five will be nice and short. So if you're a note taker, feel free to go over the boundaries. Let me tell you about this man. I've got a picture for you. This man is Thomas Munzer. Thomas Munzer. Uh, Let me tell you about him. He was mates with this man. Anyone know who this man is? That's Martin Luther. Yeah. So Thomas Munzer, he was mates with Martin Luther. Anyone here a Lutheran? No, it was a very, very tentative hand. Okay. Thomas Munzer was the first person we have recorded as being called a Lutheran. Yeah, how about that? Good mates with Martin Luther for a little while. And then it all kind of went sour. Uh, uh, their friendship broke down, mainly because for Luther, this was the issue between them. For Luther, God spoke primarily in the scriptures. For, for Munzer, God spoke primarily by the inner voice through the Holy Spirit. That's how Munzer listened to God speak. And so, like, it kind of got a little bit out of hand, I think. He started calling Luther names like Dr. Liar and Father Pussyfoot. <laughs> Honestly, Luther could hold his own, though. Have you ever gone to LutherInsultGenerator.com? Gee, that thing is out of hand. They spoke differently back then. Thomas Munzer went to Prague <laughs> in the Czech Republic. Well, it's currently now in the Czech Republic. He claimed that the Czech people would be at the forefront of a huge renewal by the Holy Spirit. He wanted them to contend for the faith. He meant pick up your swords. He meant violence. This is what he wanted them to do. And he said to them, uh, if you refuse, God will let you be struck down by the Turks in the coming year. Is this what 
God says by the Spirit. But it wasn't good guidance. It wasn't good guidance because um, the Czechs kicked him out, and they carried on not being struck down by the Turks. <laughs> Mozart said uh, after this, he quote, "The sword is necessary to wipe out the godless." Yeah, he didn't. He wanted it to be. He wanted the princes to do it though, uh, so that quote, it was done in an orderly and proper fashion. Uh, but the princes weren't so keen. So he went disorderly, he formed a militia, and they started burning down Catholic churches. Now, in 1525, there was a peasant revolt. There's a picture of it. And um, Mozart became their leader. He, uh, he assured them that God was on their side and that God would make them invincible in battle. Is that good guidance? Can you see what they're carrying? That's 9,000 peasants armed with farming tools. And they were confronted by a professional army with artillery. Historian uh, Rudolf Heinzer says, quote, we should not be surprised at the result of the battle. <laughs> Heinzer says, I'll give you a quote from this historian. When it became clear God was not providing the help Mozart had promised, the peasants broke ranks and fled. The battle ended with a horrible slaughter of peasants while the opposing army suffered only a few casualties. Afterwards, 300 peasants were beheaded, but Mozart did not even die with dignity in the midst of the slaughter, he left the field of battle and hid under a bed in a house in town. He was discovered, tortured, and brutally executed after he had signed a confession and recantation. Friends, I'm confident to say that the Holy Spirit was not speaking directly to Thomas Mercer. The Spirit does not speak things contrary to the Scriptures. The Spirit will not guide you contrary to the Scriptures. Ah, but... I do think it is accurate to say that the Spirit still speaks today. The Spirit still speaks today. So how does the Spirit speak? Uh, the Spirit primarily speaks the words of Scripture. We've seen in Hebrews already, haven't we, that the author put some psalms in the mouth of the Father in chapter 1, some psalms in the mouth of the Son in chapter 2 and chapter 10, and he does the same with the Holy Spirit. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and he quotes Psalm 95, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. It's a big, long quote. This is what the Holy Spirit says. And uh, he puts the words of the prophet Jeremiah in the mouth of the Spirit as well in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, the Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. He's quoting Jeremiah, but he's saying the Holy Spirit is speaking these words. So notice two things, two things. Firstly, notice that the author of the Hebrew cites the Father, the Son and the Spirit as speaking the words of the Scripture. Uh, the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, all speak the same scriptures, all guide in the same direction because all three persons are the one God, they are united, they do everything uh, with the one will. That's why the Spirit will never speak contrary to scripture because God does not speak against himself. God does not speak against himself. That's the first thing. The, the Holy Spirit always speaks in line with the scriptures. The second thing to notice is the one difference... Uh, there's one difference as, as the writer to the Hebrews quotes the Father and the Son and the Spirit. 
there's one difference. Did you notice it as we read? It's a bit hard to notice because it's so spread out. But the father, he said. The son, he said. The spirit, he says. He says. As a theologian named Madison Pierce, she points out that in Hebrews, the person of the Trinity that addresses the Christian community is always the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity who addresses the Christian community. God is speaking by his Spirit, and he does so with the words of Scripture. That's how the Scriptures can be described as alive, uh, as doing stuff in the Christian life. This is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The, scripture, the scriptures are alive because the Spirit is speaking them today. God, the Spirit is speaking them tonight. And so if you want guidance from God, well, why wouldn't you come to the Scriptures? The Scriptures are living because God is speaking them. Do you see what this means? If you want to encounter the living God, if you want to experience the living God, you do so by his word. It is a living word. The Scriptures, what does it say? Cut you open, cut open your heart. The scriptures examine the thoughts and intentions of your heart and, and put them under a microscope. Or the scriptures are like a big mirror that you hold up and you look into the mirror and you can see your deepest desires, like that mirror in Harry Potter, you know that mirror where Harry sees his deepest desires, he sees his parents. And you too can own this mirror for $149.99. <laughs> Nothing is hidden from him. And isn't this what you want when you ask for guidance? Isn't this the kind of insight you want? When I wanted guidance on what work I should do, I asked people who knew me and who knew the work. When Lucy and I wanted guidance, should we go overseas as missionaries? We asked people who knew us, who knew what it was to go overseas as missionaries. We wanted people with insight to, uh, to, to reflect back to us what we are blind to see. When you have a big decision to make, you need to know the thoughts, the intentions of your own heart. You need to see that clearly. You look in the mirror of the scriptures. You might not like what you find, but you will find guidance that is worth much more than $149.99. God is speaking by his spirit. Does God speak in other ways, though? Does God speak in other ways? Thomas Mozart might not have been hearing the spirit directly speak to him, but can we? After all, the Spirit speaks directly in the book of Acts. Ben's got a slide that shows you a couple of uh, places in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8, the Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. Acts chapter 10, while Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him, three men are here looking for you. The Spirit, Acts 11, the Spirit told me to accompany them with no doubts at all. Um, Acts 21, we sought out the disciples and stayed there seven days. Through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Uh, the Spirit's kind of speaking some mundane things, maybe? Maybe? Or maybe they're not so mundane. Can he do the same like that today? After all, what uh, we read in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, didn't we? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, that uh, God confirms the speech of the Son in some amazing ways. 
chapter 2, verse 4, here's how it's confirmed, the speech of the Son. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. So please don't think I'm saying that God's speech, that God's guidance is limited necessarily to the scriptures. I want to be careful how I say this. Right? I'm not saying that God cannot guide by signs or wonders. Clearly he can. He did so in the book of Exodus in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. That's a pretty spectacular sign and or wonder that he's just done and he's guided people like that. And to be frank, I've heard too many stories of how God guides people to think that he cannot do it that way. But I do want to say that I cannot find in the scriptures a promise that God will speak to you that way. A, a promise, a guarantee. I cannot find it in the scriptures. But he has spoken by his son and he does speak by his spirit and he does do so in the scriptures. There's the guarantee for you. And when God does give special guidance in the scriptures, he does so for a specific reason. Generally, it's a lot of evidence. So I'll quote this Aussie theologian who's named Graham Goldsworthy. Uh, there he is. Every case of special guidance given to individuals in the Bible has to do with that person's place in the outworking of God's saving purposes. There are no instances in the Bible in which God gives special and specific guidance to the ordinary believing Israelite or Christian in the details of their personal existence. Uh, God doesn't tell them which major to study. If you, if you, I think that if you expect, if you expect God to guide you directly apart from the scriptures, particularly in mundane matters, you're setting yourself up for a fall. Expect God to guide you in the scriptures. Expect Him to guide you home to glory in Christ. And not, don't. Please don't expect to hear God speak to you directly outside of the scriptures. I think something really dangerous happens when we talk about being guided by the voice of God. Or when we say, God told me to do such and such. First of all, we don't generally seem to mean that God actually told me to do anything. We don't seem to be talking about direct speech. We're not talking about an audible uh, voice from God. A friend, a friend of mine named Sam once told me about hitchhiking. He said he was hitchhiking and God told him, he said, to hail down this particular car. And he did, and they had a great gospel conversation. Now that's excellent. As far as it goes, great. Wait till talk four to hear about the wisdom of hitchhiking. <laughs> but good, gospel conversation, love that. Then I asked my friend Sam, right, what do you mean that God told you? And what Sam described was an impression, an inclination, not, not even a desire, maybe an instinct, that this was the car to hail down. Uh, Sam hadn't heard a voice. He'd felt maybe an intuition. Uh, and that's fine. That very well may have been God guiding someone home to glory in Christ. Uh, but Sam said that God had told him something when no one had told him anything. Maybe you use this kind of language as well. We say God told me when we mean God gave me an inclination, a feeling, which we have to be honest, we don't actually know if that feeling came from God at all. We don't know if we hear voices 
from God voices have a lot of different origins. Did you find in seminar one that God often guides through feelings? I didn't see much of that. So here's my suggestion. I propose that. We only say God told me to do such and such when God told you to do such and such. Uh, I think we need to be extremely cautious about attributing voices to God. Uh, I propose this for two reasons. All right. Firstly, because we should use words to mean what they actually mean. Told means told. And we're talking about a voice. Uh, when, you, when, you, when you say something, you should please try and be clear in what you're saying, particularly when it comes to guidance. Uh, let's try and be clear and precise. Told means told, not gave me a feeling. But secondly, and this is the really dangerous thing that happens when we use this language, when we say, God told me to do such and such, we're claiming divine authority for our desires. You can't argue with divine authority. God told me to be a pastor. Oh yeah, but you can't preach and like you have no social skills. You're a bit of a jerk. Maybe you shouldn't be a pastor. But God told me to be a pastor. Are you going to argue with God? God told me to date that person. Are you going to argue with God? God told me to buy that car. Are you going to argue with God? Friends, please beware of sanctifying your own desires by claiming divine authority for your own desires. God is not, God is not guiding you to indulge your desires. God is guiding you to, guiding you to desire Jesus. God has spoken by his prophets. God has spoken by Christ Jesus. God is speaking by his spirit. Let's listen to Jesus. Point five, listen to Jesus. Let me finish with your second guidance principle. Write this, the space provided at the top of the sermon outline. Your second guidance principle. God guides by the scriptures. God guides by the scriptures. What lengths would you go to to hear God speak to you directly? Would you pay a hundred sheep to get some advice from a sleepy oracle? Do you listen first and foremost to people who claim divine inspiration? People who claim a direct word from God? People who claim to have a direct line to God? Do you listen to people who claim that they speak with the voice of God? That's really attractive. Maybe you're searching, you're hoping for an audible voice for yourself. Maybe you would feel, oh, this would just give me the confirmation that I need. The audible voice. Do you want to experience that? Do I need to be worried about your participation in a peasant revolt? Do you turn to the scriptures? Do you turn to the scriptures? That's where you hear God speak. That's where you can be sure that God guides that's where you can know that God guides you home to glory in Christ. When you want advice, where do you go? God guides by his scriptures. So from the scriptures, Jude 24. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power and authority before all time now and forever. Amen.